0: This is episode number 1,137 with one of the greatest tennis players of all time, Novak Djokovic. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Today, we're bringing back one of my favorite interviews with Novak Djokovic. He is currently ranked as world number one by the Association of Tennis Professionals, and Djokovic has been number one for a record of over 320 weeks. And I felt inspired this last week as I watched him win his 20th Grand Slam title in Wimbledon. And I wanted to reflect back on our conversation from 2017 and also an interview that we never published that I'm going to be putting together towards the end of this interview as well that I did with Jay Shetty and Novak right before the pandemic last year, we never published this interview. So I wanted you to have both of these together to get the full context of where he's been throughout his journey and what he's been up to lately. So this is going to be very powerful. And in this episode, we discuss how Novak started playing tennis and how he persevered through so many different traumatic experiences during childhood, how Novak recovered from his lowest point in his life, how to understand the power of the mind to build a champion's mindset and what love means to Novak and why it's so important for him. This This is a very special episode again me and Jay Shetty spent some time with Novak for a full day playing tennis and basketball and we went golfing and did all these different sports together and really got to kind of just see behind the scenes more of how he thinks how he acts how he trains and so this one is very powerful and Novak's determination in his life and off the court is truly special and I know you're gonna love this interview today so if you're enjoying it make sure to share this with a friend post it on social media tag me tag Novak Djokovic as well over on Instagram or Twitter and of Of course, subscribe to the School of Greatness podcast if you have yet to subscribe or if this is your first time here. Okay, in just a moment, I bring you the one and only Novak Djokovic. All right, guys, welcome back to the School of Greatness podcast. We have the legendary Novak Djokovic. That's great. In the house, man. You pronounced it very well. I pronounced it the way you you told me to. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited about this. This is your first podcast. First podcast, yes. And um, we had lunch a couple days ago. Your wife, Elena, introduced me to you. She had found, I guess, some of my information somewhere, a podcast somewhere and reached out, asked me to to do an interview with her. We had a great conversation. She was like, you have to meet my husband. You're going to love him. And I said, okay, I don't really know much about you. And then she was telling me all these things about you, about how you really are here, yes, to be the best tennis player that you can be, but to make a massive impact in the world. And that you constantly want to give back, and you want to spread love and joy and bring humanity together. And I said, okay, if <laughs> he's more than just an athlete, then I must
1: meet this guy. She, so. she gives best introductions of me, I must say. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful to have her in my life. And uh, I think it starts from there, really, uh, the emotional stuff. The, the love first towards yourself of course but then being able to share love and share everything that you experience in life with uh, with your partner is is something that uh, you know, brought a lot of, a lot of joy, a lot of inner peace and a lot of success later on in my life. She's probably the only serious relationship I ever had. As I was telling that, you the yes. other day at the lunch, <laughs> uh, lunch and but she'll probably not agree with that. She's like, yeah, but you had a girlfriend three and a half months before me. And, uh, <laughs> okay. Yes, I had, but uh, right, right. like we started dating. I was 18. She was 19. And now we've Been married for four years. No, what is it? Three. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm going to get in trouble. I I have the ring on, darling. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, so... But we we have two beautiful children, and it's great to be able to share my life with her. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, you started uh, tennis when you were four. Is that right? Started playing at four? I started when I was... Yeah, started when I was four years old, and, you know, story goes like this. Basically, I... uh, Nobody... Uh, has touched the racket before me in my family so I don't have any tradition that I inherited to play tennis tennis was never a big sport in our country uh, before that we do, we did have Monica Selic for example I don't know if you remember yeah, her and yeah. she came over to States and she played for Yugoslavia at that time and then she played for States as well so she was our biggest star We had, you know, Slobodan Boba Zivoyinovic who was top 20 of the world singles and first in doubles and but that's as far as we go in Serbia, Croatia from the other and had more success. They had, you know, Goran Ivanišević and then Pilic and, you know, all these guys that were top three, four, two in the world and winning grand slams and so forth. So, but tennis was never a big sport. You know, we're, we're more a nation of team sports, basketball, mm-hmm. you know, soccer, soccer and handball, volleyball, water polo. Water polo. I mean, we had, Huge amount of success in, the, in those sports. Water polo, and you guys are Olympic champions. Water polo, you? I mean, what are these, are guys, these guys, are so strong. I mean, they're one of the most dominant teams in all sports and ever, ever. I mean, these guys haven't lost a game like in 10 years. You know, they're, they're amazing. So, yeah. And then I grew up with my family in uh, one mountain resort in Serbia called Koponik. My parents had restaurant business there. We used to go commute between the capital city, Belgrade, where I was born and where we basically lived and went to school, and Kopanik often because of the business that was we lived out of. Yeah, and the restaurant uh, was in Belgrade. Re- or in the- no, restaurant was on the mountain. So the mountain was quite popular in those days with you know summer and winter and all spring. Mountain, yeah, you spring. Yeah, know, exactly. Snowboarders. But something. then as as the wars came after that, unfortunately became only a very seasonal thing, just to go get a couple months of skiing and that's all. And they were building three tennis courts actually in front of that restaurant when I was four. It was 1991. It was just I think the year before the war started actually, when Yugoslavia broke apart. And we still had a lot of foreigners coming and so forth. So there was it was a lot of interest for tennis, because tennis is a sport that was born in France and in and in England in more aristocratic environments. Tennis is sport of gentlemen. It's yes. it's not a very easily accessible sport, affordable sport, like maybe basketball, soccer, football, those type of sports. So I fell in love with it right away. I mean, I, I helped the workers make the court and return, you know, I was bringing some beers to them. So I was, I was, I was a four small years kid. Old. Yeah. I was eager. I was curious as any other child, what is going on here? So finally, you know, i I found out it's tennis. I just became aware that I'm alive, you know, four <laughs> years old. I mean, I was that young and, uh, and I was like, okay, dad, I, would like to, you know, see what's going on here and maybe eventually get a racket, you know. And so I started asking and then begging and then please, you know. (laughs) So eventually he, he said, great, here you go, racket, ball, And then tennis camps started to come over from Belgrade and different cities in Serbia. I joined right away. The first camp that I saw, there was like a bunch of kids coming from different cities in Serbia. And it was like a program for a week because it was so close to the restaurant which my parents had. I just kind of walked there and hang on the fence and just try to understand what the sport is. And I started watching it on TV and then the rest of it is history. You know, I I really was very fortunate to meet that same year, I think, or the year after. I like to call her my tennis mother. She has greatly influenced my tennis career, my life as well. My parents were really kind and they trusted her so that she can have influence off the court on me as well, which is tricky to do as a parent, you know, I mean, especially if you have a child that is, that is that young, you as a parent, you, you believe that you have everything that the child needs in order to, I guess, help him develop into a mature and, and, and healthy, you know, human being and so as a parent you always think like okay who is going to be the mentor of my child both my mom and dad were really happy with I guess quality of, of person that Yelena Gencic was and she used to train also with Monica Seles and so forth so she was probably the best person I could have at that stage and she saw me right away she said okay you have great talent she told my parents she said okay this kid can be number one of the world and, and I mean five years, years old and, and, and that was exactly And that was no, it, it was at Six or seven. After you're playing me. for a little bit. So now. for a few years, but but she said, you know, right away she said, okay. It was there was something different <laughs> because I came to the practice first tennis practice ever. You know, I came in with a little bag and a little extra t shirt. I had a little bottle of water and whatever. I prepared that. I was very, very much into it. I wanted to be ready. And so she found that very odd and she found that very special. So she said there's something about him that is different and she was telling my parents that, that she, they should support me mm. bear in mind that those were 90s and we had two wars and we had all this bunch of different difficulties that were, and adversities in life that we were facing which was making that as difficult, as much difficult for, for my parents to support me and to become a tennis player and to pursue my dream. And it was, as we, as we talked about it five minutes ago, I mean, it's a, it's an expensive sport. You know, you've got to yeah. afford record, coach, court boss, all yeah. this stuff. But we went through all this stuff and my father saw that spark in my eyes and said, okay, this is what, what you're going to do. Amazing, man. This is crazy. So do you think that if she didn't say that you could be
0: number one in the world, do you think you would have actually become it? without having someone else believe in you? Or was that belief early on? You
1: know, I usually usually don't like to play with these questions, (laughs) what if, what what if, if, what if. Because I believe that everything in life happens with a reason and for a reason. I think if we have to think about it, I don't know if I would actually pursue the, the career of a tennis player if it wasn't for the belief and support that I had for my parents and, and her. Really? Of course, I fell in love with, with the sport. But when you're that young, kids are curious, so we About play everything. different, you yeah. know, different sports, you engage yourself and who knows where the I guess the path mm-hmm. takes you, you know? And right. I did play other sports as well. I mean, I, I did skiing because it was mountain, my, my father was a professional skier, my aunt, my uncle, they were all com- competitors. and. We're all competing on a a high level, in a regional level and European level. So that's actually how my my parents met as well. My father was an instructor and she was skiing Mm, and so the whole thing, you know, (laughs) and then here I am. (laughs) So skiing was and still is today a great passion of mine. Really? Yes, but you're right. If I haven't had her and my parents saying, okay, there is something that you should pursue here in this sport. I probably would play other sports really? and probably the sports that were more popular, mm-hmm. you know, with team friends. Team sports, and yeah. You know how it is. I mean, when you're that young, you want to play sports and you want to belong to a group, to a little community, whatever. So nobody was really, there were not many kids playing tennis because it was expensive. It was not affordable. It was you're isolated. It was, it was not maybe as much fun as some other team sports because, you know, when you're playing soccer or basketball, it's, it's more fun like this. Exactly. You're more isolated, more individual. You do play, you know, of course in in groups and so forth, in camps and stuff like that. But half of the time you're spending it by mm-hmm. yourself on, right. on one side of the net, and that's all you yeah, got. That's
0: crazy. Now the first war, you you went through two wars in Serbia, right? The first yeah. war, you were six, seven. Yeah, I was uh, five. I think five. ninety 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 two. Yeah, that's when he was. And five, that one yeah. was the lesser of the two wars is that right it was still yeah. you know bombs everywhere but it wasn't yeah. as
1: hard as the, the so it, the the first war was more in croatia and bosnia it was between you know serbs and bosnians and croatians and that and then the whole the whole yugoslavia there was once a, a big country with six, seven states, it, you know, fall apart. The war lasted for a long time, uh, I think three, four years, and there was a lot of victims. Nobody wins in war. I mean, it's a terrible thing. But I didn't feel it. My family didn't feel it in, in Belgrade, in, in Serbia, uh, as much as people, these areas of Bosnia and Croatia felt yeah, it. gotcha. Yeah. Uh, the second war was the one you felt the most, right? Yes. When you were around 12? I was 12, and I remember, actually, I celebrated my birthday during those two and a half months of bombing and I was turning 12 and I still remember that scene actually. I, we were having this like a little birthday party at this tennis club. So as kids, we, of course, we were frightened, we were scared, we were, we didn't know what tomorrow brings. But at the same time as a child, you don't really have the worries that adults have. So you're living in the moment. And for us, it was great that we get to spend more time playing tennis having fun than in school. <laughs> so it was like, oh, great, you know, we get to do that and that. We don't get to sit, you know, for hours and hours, but we get to actually play. There was no class during that time? No, absolutely not. No, yeah. no, no. It was School's the, the whole, canceled, Cancelled. everything. Ca- you know, it's just many people flee and uh, just... Wow. It was one of these things that... It was not like from one day to another. We were uh, kind of warned about it months prior to when it happened. But I think super majority of people really didn't believe that that's going to happen really imagining that you know you sit here and you see planes you know dropping bombs here and there I mean it's and everything is trembling and the windows are breaking and everybody is screaming and it, the whole city I mean the whole country was basically bombed it was because of the part of Serbia at the time and it was Kosovo that was the whole thing I mean not to get into politics because it's it just gets ugly you know it was one of these things where you just don't know that feeling of insecurity of helplessness it's terrible because, you know, we as human beings, we like to have a control of environment, of where we live, what we're going to do, you know, of our experiences. And this was completely taken away from us. And there was this higher f- power from above that could do anything to anybody. And you could be a collateral damage any minute, basically. So uh, Did you see bombs dropping every oh, day? yeah. Every yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I 200. didn't I did I didn't see it you myself. Heard it. I heard it, of course I felt it. I've seen, I have this image still in my mind where I think it was the first week when it actually started, and we were still very, very much, of course, afraid and we were running to the shelters and my father's sister, so my aunt, she lived with her family about you know Uh, three four hundred feet away from uh, our building so we had we lived in one building she lived in another building and her building had underground shelters and our didn't so we literally for every night for first couple weeks we ran like around two three a.m that's when it started to the bombs the the bombs started started to come yeah exactly that's when we we were going there so we just wake up Pack our things, cry a little bit, scream whatever, and then just take our whatever necessities and just go there. So we we'll would spend two weeks, mostly nights, in those in those underground shelters. And I remember, I think one of the first nights, I. And, and you see it's, it's you know it's obviously middle of the night it's you know pitch darkness and and, and all of a sudden you see these flashes of light everywhere no you way. know explosions and you, you, you feel the, the ground trembling and it was devastating experience and then I remember us running it was it was one night it was I think the third night, second or third night of bombings. I was 12. I have two younger brothers. The middle brother was eight. The youngest brother was four. So uh, the, the middle brother, he was running as well with with, with our with, with our dad, and my mom was carrying the youngest one. So I was behind. I dropped something, so I picked it up. I was losing my footing, so I, they didn't hear me because of the noise. So it was a distance, and I was frightened. I'm going to be left alone. So I, as I was running, I I trembled. I f- I, you know on the on the rock. <laughs> I fell down and I turned around and then I could see this, I don't know, it's F-16 plane or something like this. They call it uh, the invisible one. So it just, like huge speed just flew in this dropped something there which was very close. It was Hold. the military hospital I was telling you about. Yeah. No, I mean it's just those kind of images are stuck in your mind forever. But at the same time, as I was telling you, I feel like that experience has shaped me into the person I am today, has helped me to be more appreciative of life, give more value, I'm more grateful. And just because of everything that has happened in those ten years actually, because after the first war to the second war the whole country was, we had embargo, so there was no imports, lack of gas for cars. There was, you know, bread and milk. You had lines of people, you know, accused like <laughs> very long ones. So right. you had to wait like hours to get bread. bread. And all these different, different things that have happened, it made me and my family and all the people in Serbia more resilient, you know, and just more, just tougher. You know, for whatever challenges that we face in life, for whatever adversity is out there. And I think that some people stayed stuck in that emotion of maybe hatred and revenge type of feeling. I am not. And I don't believe that's the right thing to do because then you feel like you're a prisoner of your own yeah. emotions yeah. in your life. Because you can't blame anyone. You can't blame people of any country for what has happened because they are it's not their fault you know some maybe decisions of some head of states or 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 militaries or whatever i mean in the end of the day if you carry this for all your life does it really make any any change for you Does it is going to enrich your life i mean it's not so you cannot ask people to forget and that's one thing that i realized because I was fortunate not to lose anyone that is close to me. My family, my brothers, everyone is is good, is healthy. Also cousins and so forth, everybody's okay. But you know, I know people that lost their parents, they lost somebody very close. And they lost homes, they lost lives and they had to start over, you know, from scratch. I think almost half a million refugees and, and even more. I mean, God knows how many people died and you can still see. And then one day I hope you'll come to Belgrade yeah, uh, and and you still see the, the traces of that. You, you still see buildings that are ruins and since 99. Wow. And it's funny, but they use it as a touristic attraction today, you know, as well, whatever. So, but it's hard to ask people, Hey, just forget about it. You cannot forget about it. You cannot. It's one of these things that is, that is deeply engraved in, to your subconscious, into your emotions, into your memory. But I think you can get over it and let it go. And, that, and that's something that I felt like I, I've managed to do it myself. And, and many people did, but you know, many people also didn't. The wounds are fresh. It happened, I mean, what is 99? It's, it's almost, you know, not even you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. So it's still yeah. relatively fresh. And it
0: was in your childhood. I mean, it was a, yeah. a time in your teens, I guess, right before you became a teenager. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it was intense, man. It, it was, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, it's intense, you know, and two and a half months, you said every day, right? That's why, I mean, it hurts me every time I hear about refugees, every time I hear about bombings, about war and what's happening in, you know, in Syria and Middle East, it's just in Syria, let's take Syria, for example. I mean, I had one incredible experience that, I mean, I've never cried that much in my life. I, was, I became a UNICEF ambassador of goodwill for the region 10 years ago. And then in the meantime, became the global ambassador. And as I become global ambassador some years ago,
0: One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And actually, I was thinking about something I wanted to share. I get a lot of questions from you about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there who are often on the go, like I am. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making some extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start, and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine who have raved to me about their experience, but there are some people out there who've never imagined their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a Great way to earn some extra money. So, if you have a home but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash/host. nothing beats attending a live event. SeatGeek's site is easy to navigate so you're able to select the best seats to see your favorite artists with confidence. With over 28 million downloads, SeatGeek is the number one rated ticketing app on the Apple App Store. There are more than 70,000 events on SeatGeek including concerts, sports, festivals, and more. Plus, your tickets are backed by a buyer guarantee. Download the SeatGeek app and use code GREATNESS20 to get $20 off your first purchase. Offer applies to new customers only purchase must be over fifty dollars. The promo code is single use and valid through September thirtieth, twenty twenty-four. Get tickets
1: on SeatGeek now. I start to different things for UNICEF and my foundation because UNICEF and my foundation are collaborating. And I remember it was was a year and a half ago. It was just recently. I mean, when the whole Syria war started, it was a huge thing in Europe because probably third or, or, or quarter or third of the country just left. Can you imagine that you Crazy. have 12 million people in Syria and it was 3 or 4 million people left the country. Crazy. Probably even more now today because they lost homes, they lost their lives, they lost their close ones. What they are going to do? They want to, you know, search, they want to go to some place that will offer them roof above their heads and social help that they don't have in their country because it's completely <laughs> devastated, it's completely yeah. destroyed. So, You know, many, many, like thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of refugees went through Serbia to go to Germany, Austria, I guess the bigger countries in Europe. And so we were on their trajectory. Right. I went to visit one of those um, kind of locations that was offered from a city as a resting place place, as shelters temporary homes for for the people that are passing through and it was one of the hotels in town in Belgrade Uh they gave them the whole lobby area the whole floor as I came over I already start to feel this obviously I do a lot for my foundation and and so forth and and it touches your hearts because we're we're going to talk about it in a minute but we focus a lot on education and it's, it's a different thing you don't get to see the devastation the hurt the pain as much you see that but not as much as you see it here i knew what kind of could predict what's going to happen and, and what awaits me so i start to feel all of a sudden these emotions because i've been fortunate i haven't been a refugee myself but i know many of my friends and, and people around me that are refugees of the wars during 90s so as i as i come in and I'm supposed to, there's a camera, I think it was CNN and a couple other cameras, and, and they they wanted me to record a message for people being there to ask for help, to raise funds, to help the, you know, refugees and to build homes for them and so forth. And as I came in and then you see different rooms, there's a playroom, then there's a resting room and so forth. And the look on these people's faces was something that was, wow, boom, right away. First impression was like... Pain, insecurity, yeah. devastation, sadness—it's just all these emotions—and just they—they they were flat, literally. They were flat. They didn't know what's happening. I mean, they're like, okay, we're here now, but where are we walking? Where are we going? What, what's going to happen? Where is our life tomorrow? So as as I'm walking into this small area, play area for for children there are plenty of children there i observe them for a little bit and then one of the volunteers there tells me why don't you join them you know try to so mm-hmm. I, I didn't know how to react, yeah. honestly. I, I was there. I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to be with them, but at the same time, I don't want to be in their space because, you know, I could, <laughs> I could feel the emotions. I could feel what they're going through. So I started playing around, and 10 minutes later, it's, I really got into it, and there was a couple of children around me, and we started, you know, playing with toys and measuring things and whatever, it was it was really cool. And then somebody, you know, taps my shoulder, and it was one of the people from UNICEF. And she came with the mother of a child that I was playing with. And she was a girl that was probably not even two, two and a half years old. Yeah. And she told me her mom came to pick her up. It's time to go. I thought to myself, where where are they going to go? Right. What's going to happen? I mean, it's... <sighs> <sighs> Sorry, I, I just... Wow. It's, 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 it's even today, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just so emotional, you know? <laughs> Because I don't know where they where they went, you know. It's it's like having this 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 girl and mom taking a boy who was six seven years old and and this little girl. They're traveling, God knows where, by foot, no home, no nothing behind them, you know, and then in front of them. So, and then I was supposed to tell something in the camera. I'm like, guys, like now. I mean, I I can't speak. I can't speak because it's just one of these things that breaks your heart, you know. Right. And it's just. Whew, sorry that's what war does that's yeah. what war does but at the same time I'm really grateful that I've been through that through this experience through wars and 90s and, and all these things because it made me more human it made me more connected with other people because whatever happens in the world I know that we are all going through that through that experience of trying to live, trying to take the best out of this life experience for ourselves. And I think going through those emotions and those experiences in past just allowed me to be more warm hearted towards people. And, and I feel that, that I get the same. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Wow, man. Thanks for sharing that story. No, yeah. I'm sorry. I just, okay. it, it was one of these things that is, that is really It just stays with you. And it stays with you. And I like to look back to it as much as it hurts me. I like to go back to it and then understand that what I have in life and how fast I can lose all of that if I don't appreciate it, if I'm not living in the present. And, And knowing that there are people like that, even today going through all of this and us being in this incredible life and having this fortune to be successful and to be heard as well. You know, everything that we say, you know, there are thousands of millions of people following you, myself, children that are looking up to us and then saying, okay, I mean, this is something that I can use to, to be better and yeah. I want to be like him. So I think having this in my subconscious in you know, all these experiences in the past and never forgetting about that keeps me grounded, keeps me aware that everything I say is heard in these places that, that really need mm. your advice, that need your help, that need your light. So, you know, it's all about sharing that light and sharing that love.
0: Yeah. Wow, man. What would you say is the biggest lesson you learned from war, from that whole experience personally?
1: The biggest lesson that I've learned is probably that I should be always kind to anyone and everyone, no matter what experience they go through because you never know. You never know what one person goes through. You just always be kind because there is something that we call God, universe, angels. There is this higher force above and here on this planet that is going to help us to live a prosperous life, to be happy, to be healthy, to be joyful, to have that peace. If we truly respect and appreciate ourselves and others in that process as well. Mm -hmm. Wow.
0: Now, were you able to even think about tennis? You know, you had this dream of being number one at four, five, six. And then during the wartime, were you still thinking, oh, this is something I could still do? Or I have no (laughs) clue where I'm going to be tomorrow because these bombs are right around me within miles. Were you able to practice? Were you just not sure were you just trying to you know oh I was practicing
1: big time I every was, day yeah I was as I, as I told you you know I, I've, you that know, was we, your time with we no we school we, <laughs> exactly no school I mean I enjoyed school I, I think it's yeah. great but at the same time I liked to be on the tennis court more you or know so because I was course, completely course. in love with it and, and just huge passion of mine and I started to do better and better and started to win some <laughs> local tournaments I was you know 11 12 years old mm-hmm. and during those two and a half months of bombing we actually spent, after the second week was done, because in the first couple weeks we were like, okay, let's just survive, you know, and let's just figure things out, we don't know what's going to happen and then after the second week we were like, okay this is going to happen, God knows how long it's going to go for, so we might as well continue living our, so to say normal everyday lives, whatever that that is, you know and so I spent a lot of time on tennis courts and we had a lot of tournaments and I actually remember I haven't been part of it, but I was still young, too. I was just too little, but there were people that were organizing this so-called target group activities so they would because they were bombing our bridges as well so they would go out on one of like most important bridges that connects the two important parts of the town so people would go there literally more or less every day with t-shirts that would have like a target drawn on them and also on their faces they would like draw targets or on their you know top of their heads and they would sing songs they would be together united and that was like a message out there okay we are the target, try to do something now. Like this is us, we are here. So thankfully nothing happened there, but that was how powerful this whole experience was for people to get together. It was devastating. It was all these things that we talked about. There's something positive out of it is that people survived because... And we got through it as people, as country, because we were together. We were united. And we talked about it the other day on the lunch. Mm. Is that I I was complaining to you a little bit about Serbian people that we are not united when we are supposed to be. Right. We are united. Like pull each other down. Exactly. (laughs) i tell you that joke, yeah. I think especially younger generations at that time... They were like, okay, this is our time to be rebellious. You know, when you're younger, you're, you're rebellious. You know, you want to be part of those activities and it's fun. So mm-hmm. so we, we try to turn it into fun. Yeah. You know, of as course. much as we could. During bombings. It's crazy. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Now, when did you start to fully believe in yourself that you were able to achieve what you wanted to do in tennis? When did the belief sit in? Where you're like yes, this is possible for me
1: Oh very early I knew already I'm gonna become number one of the world like I was seven I think I was it was probably first uh, <laughs> was the first TV show. I had uh, like yeah. I, I was guest in one of these uh, kids uh, shows and on a national stars TV or something or whatever yeah. something like that. And I said that tennis is commitment is my obligation is something I have to do. I mean, I was already I was so disciplined, you know, at that time. And they say that there's a great quote about this: one is that discipline is is the bridge between between goals and and accomplishments, right? Mm-hmm. So whatever in life you envision to do, you gotta be disciplined. Yes. You know, discipline spiritually, discipline. In sports, in in whatever, in your family, in your relationships. So very early, I think, and my parents and my tennis mother, Janina Gentrych, they've deeply ingrained that discipline in me. And then I knew, I mean, already seven, eight, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I I knew it was very clear. What is strange about it is that if you take in consideration all the circumstances in which uh, I've grown up as a child, it was very odd and there was many people <laughs> yeah. that were laughing at it and it just it sure. was uh, my father had to he went through so much I'm, I'm internally grateful to both my parents and my father has borrowed money from people that were chasing him in car. I mean you would not imagine the experiences that he had and we had in order for me to travel to United States for example for the first time in my life and during those 90s I mean and, and because of the embargo and all the things the criminal rate raised so there was a lot of kidnapping and different stuff and it was it's not even close like that now it's great it's it's fantastic it's safe and it's all fine but during those seven eight years it was really tough people were scraping and people were fighting for their lives basically surviving it's a matter of like you take one bread or two breads it makes a difference you of know course. you need to stay in the line and god knows if you're gonna have a bread in a week right. time you know so it was literally the, that kind of survival mode for everyone so i think from very early stages of my life i knew what i wanted to do but not just what I wanted to do, but what I wanted to achieve, what is, what is going to be my accomplishment in what I do. And I think because I had these objectives in life, I managed to have the mental clarity. I managed to, to kind of in tennis and Andre Agassi yes. is my coach now. And I'm proud to have him in my team. He always says, you know, in tennis, you work from top backwards from basically setting up a goal and then you you work your yes. way back and it's just you know exactly the whole season how it's going to look like because this is my season goal let me work my way back to this moment so this is Probably a definition of how I felt at that moment mentally, and the plans that I had, the visions that I had. I was seven. I already, I was making like uh, out of plastic or like a little paper materials. I was making the Wimbledon trophy. I was living, you know, and stuff like this. It was very, very clear in my mind that that's going to be my mission. Have (laughs) you ever doubted yourself
0: going on to you know and being a professional and going against some of these top players for the first time? Did you ever have doubt, or were you always like? I can beat them, I can be the best.
1: Yeah, I had plenty of doubts and plenty of doubtful moments. I've, probably the, the one that stands out the most was back in 2010 when I was already you know number three of the world. I was already a Grand Slam winner. I was an established player in top five in the world already three, four years before that. So, so I was already into it. One of my first Grand Slam in Australian Open in January 2008 I was 20 years old and it was a dream come true the whole trajectory I mean I I was very successful in junior days and everything it was just I had this upward kind of spiral and trajectory in my tennis career in my life and everything was great doing you know it was everything was great and then all of a sudden I had this period of two and a half three years where I didn't win a slam really I was I was managing to be three four in the world But I just, I struggled a lot. And for me, being number three of the world wasn't enough. I just, I was not satisfied with that. And I just, I always go back and say, wait, okay, When when I was seven, eight years old, my dream... My life goal was always to be number one and win Wimbledon. That's it. And I need to achieve that no matter what. (laughs) But then I reached a kind of mentally low point in my career. I think it was after Roland Garros, you know, one of the four slams. And I lost. I was two sets to love up. I lost in five sets in quarterfinals against a guy called Jurgen Meltzer. He was top 10 of the world. Very good player. But I had him. I mean, I I had a match and I just lost. Mm. I just had a breakdown. I remember going first to my parents and, you know, talking about this and that. And I just I cried and I like, I, I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know if I should keep going. And, and, and my father was like, tough enough, tough enough, you know, no, 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 no you know, like, but it wasn't, it wasn't enough. Like I felt I needed to think about it more. I felt I needed to share more. So I went to my coach at that time, Marian Vaida and, and my, um, one of my best friends in life and my former physiotherapist, Milan, And I was in their room and I remember sitting on the floor again. I had another breakdown and I was saying, I don't know, you know. And they were like, okay, take your time. Let's first, okay, breathe and let's come down. Let's look back you know and and then they were really really wise for telling me like let's go look back first why did you start playing this sport and the whole thing do you love it you know leave aside mm-hmm. what you want to achieve yeah. what you want to it's do passion for you it. know but do you really like holding a record in your hand and then I'm like actually i, I do i really I love holding a record in my hand whether it's a grand slam center court finals whatever or it's just a normal you know public court i still like playing for the sake of playing they're like well that's your source that's what you need to tap into and that's take a little bit of time and literally they thought it's going to take a few weeks next day I'm like okay I'm back on track let's go (laughs) let's keep going and I never looked back ever since that moment I remember the next tournament was Wimbledon probably played semifinals and then after that I I won Davis Cup with, with my country with my guys end of that 2010 that was one of the highlights of my career and then after that i i went into having 43 matches win in a row and i had that streak i became number one how I long was, is that for It was it's like almost six months six months you didn't lose one match yeah 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 it, was, lost it was a set but yeah. not a match
0: right Not yeah. a game
1: yeah holy yeah, no that was it was mechner and myself we hold the record for longest streak of you tied history. them I okay, so this is if you go if Come you go on, if you, you go online more. so wait wait. So if you go online you'll say John McEnroe forty two Novak Djokovic forty one. Oh no. Why? Because <laughs> they didn't count the two matches of the guys that retired the matches to me, so they didn't count them as uh, wins and I would have the forty but okay like, okay, John. Uh, so, yo, okay, John, you, you, you have it. You have it, John. Okay, you have it. So it's, wow, it's John. Man, yeah, that's so that's kind of feel like you were just in the zone. It was unbelievable. And it just gave me it gave me wings. I mean I just I felt all of a sudden that I started to play and play freely. Between winning the first slam and that moment, it was three years and I felt like I was playing for the wrong reasons. I was playing because I wanted to achieve. I wanted to do this. I wanted to lift trophies. I wanted to do this and that. And that's okay. But that's secondary primary, so to say, motivation needs to be what inspired you to start playing. What made you fall in love with the sport? Mm-hmm. And that is the, the, the love, the joy, the passion for it, to play it. I all of a sudden became the kid that I was when I started. I felt so much, so dance, much power and energy and I just exactly. So I never looked back after that. Amazing, man. We have a few minutes
0: left and I want to ask like a thousand more questions. <laughs> so I'm going to be very mindful of this. Yeah. The thing you're most proud of that maybe a lot of people don't know about. Hmm. Maybe that's not this big public announcement, but something you've done recently or any time in your life that you're most proud of?
1: I usually don't like to praise myself. I don't I don't feel like that. I usually leave this to, to other people and and, sure. and and also I don't feed myself out of someone else complimenting me. Of course. Because I find my happiness inside. I find that working on my own character virtues and features is something that is essential to me and being able to establish this kind of inner peace and happiness in life regardless of what's happening externally is essential because it keeps me connected to myself, to other people, to to planet, to universe. The starting point, things that I have done I've done with with my pure heart and intention. It's hard to pick one because I remember during the bombings, I remember I was going in our neighborhood and sharing the food with our families, with our children, uh, giving clothes away, because it's not something that is very special, but it felt very special at that I'm time sure. for me. I've done things after many, many other things and, and with philanthropically with myself individually and also with our foundation. But again, going back to the times of the war, I think that's something that probably would stand out. And something that I I was very proud of and I'm proud of my and I'm really grateful to my parents that they were able also to give me this kind of uh, education and I guess consciousness about the fact that we're not alone in this world and that we need to share because sharing is care. One of my favorite parts about my job is
0: that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And actually, I was thinking about something I wanted to share. I get a lot of questions from you about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there who are often on the go, like I am. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making some extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start. And it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine who have raved to me about their experience. But there are some people out there who've never imagined their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. Ever notice how your relationship with your wireless carrier can have the same yada yada as a bad romantic relationship? Like you're treated special at the beginning with exciting gifts and offers, but then ignored and overlooked later on. Or your partner gets a wandering eye, like how some wireless carriers start focusing their attention on newer customers. Well, if this sounds like your wireless carrier, it might be time to put an end to the yada yada. Now at Metro, existing customers get that new customer feeling again and again, introducing Metro Flex. More than just free, 5G phones when you join, get the same great deals as new customers on select devices like Samsung, Motorola, and Rebel when you stay 12 months and trade in a phone. It's the first of many initiatives Metro is making to ensure all of the customers feel valued. That's not a yada, yada. Stop by your neighborhood Metro store, bring your number and ID, and sign up for an eligible Metro Flex plan.
1: Drink and vice versa. And so I remember going around the neighborhood and just offering my warmth and my friendship and my love and, and whatever I had at that at that moment. And then I felt more love than I probably ever felt. I mean, it's one of those moments where in the biggest of adversity, that's where your pure self surfaces. I will probably, probably mention man. that. That's yeah. cool. The thing you love about your wife the most? Honesty and compassion. We as men can't even imagine what woman goes through, especially women that have experience of becoming a mother and, and all of that and being going through the pregnancy. It's another level. It's another level of sacrifice. It's another level of pain, but it's another level of love and dedication to family and what matters the most. Having her in my life is one of the biggest blessings I could ever ask for, to be honest. And to this day, I am trying to be always remind myself what I have and what we have and how grateful I am. That's cool. This is called the three truths. So if this was uh, the
0: last day for you many years from now and for whatever reason all the videos and interviews you've done and stuff you put out there is is gone and no one has access to your information anymore. But you got a piece of paper and a pen to write down three things you know to be true or the three lessons that you've learned that you would share to the world and this is all they have to remember you by these three truths what would you say are yours? I would
1: probably say live freely okay. breathe deeply and love fully mm. simple it, it really comes to that it, it comes to you being one with yourself and others and just being present if I have to pick one of those three which I guess is probably the biggest and most <laughs> simple and odd lesson that I've learned in my life is to breathe deeply and to learn how to breathe because when you learn how to breathe uh-huh. which is something that we take so much for granted today you learn how to live in the moment to be mindful of yourself you all of a sudden you observe things from a different perspective you are not as maybe impulsive yeah and all of a sudden everything opens up because we talked about it a minute ago you have help we have the nature is there the universe is there there is something and nobody can deny it there is something that is there that is out there watching for us supporting us loving us but if we close our doors and we are living in a shell. How can we receive help? You got to open some windows, yeah, right? Yeah. Doors and then eventually have no shell. Live with no shell. Be authentic, be original, pave your own path. Don't just follow the paths that society is telling you to. We need more creativity in this world. We need more innovations. We need more people that are free. Today's society is shaping us to be a bit of a robotic beings. Just got to do this. You got to pay this. You got to do that. You got to follow this. You got to take that. Try to understand what's the best experience for you, but at the same time, live freely and share it. Mm, mm, Powerful. How can we best support you?
0: What's the thing we can do to best support you? Make sure we follow you on social media, but is there
1: a way we can support the foundation or a big cause that you're... I leave this completely up to you. The thing that you can do best for me is to do best for yourself. There you go. That's all. There you go. Uh, Well, before I ask the final question and get you out of here,
0: I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Novak, for your incredible ability to live for your dreams, but also make sure that you're inspiring the world in your dreams and not making it all about yourself. You're truly a global citizen of love. And for me, it's really inspiring to see that someone like yourself is in the world right now. Because when there is so much hate that's happening specifically in America, you've been through the worst of the worst and come out on the other side with such a giving heart. So I acknowledge you for all that you do for your country and for the world. You're an incredible human being yes my man thanks
1: thanks brother thank you and i need to i need to before you continue i need to also say thank you for sharing that love as well thank you for bringing people with inspiring stories thank you for sharing passion for life and for greatness we need to inspire people to dare to dream and children today we need it more than ever. So thank you for that.
0: Yes, exactly. Final question is, what is your definition of greatness?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were never going to ask me that. I was like, okay, I'm going to get away with this. (laughs) No, my (laughs) definition of greatness for me is purpose. If you find your purpose, you're going to give purpose to others. And you and me, as public figures, we have this responsibility, you know, even more. And I think that... On whatever level of society you are or whatever experience that you go through, you are going to maximize your life's experience only if you find a purpose and people will find their purpose because they will relate to the very same purpose that you are defining and that you're radiating and that you are portraying. Mm.
0: Mm. Make sure you guys follow this man all over the place on social media. We didn't even get into like the tennis mindset, the habits, the <laughs> rituals, routines. That's gonna be for another time. <laughs> yeah. When you're back in LA, sure. we'll do that. Or when I'm in uh Serbia, Serbia, man. Serbia you I'll come, come to Belgrade and uh, we'll bring you invitation right here. I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> so next time we'll have to have Novak back on to talk more about that. But this was a powerful story, man, and I think it's gonna help a lot of people. So make sure you guys follow him. Novak, thank you. You're a champion. Thank you, Lewis, you. Me, thank you, Appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed this first part of the interview with Novak and now I want to bring you the second part where me and Jay Shetty interview him together into this new episode right here.
1: For me, it's super important to have clear goals and uh, short-term goals, long-term goals. What are the goals for this season? What is the goal in the next three months? You know, check, check, check that, you know, go through that with my team, with myself, with my family and then what is the long-term goal? You know, yeah. and and I think being being clear with all these things, and and and, and you know, I know that identification sometimes is um, uh, maybe moving you further away from that harmony and that peaceful state, but I feel like in a professional sport is super important to identify and to be very clear with yourself why you are playing that sport, why you're doing this, why am I traveling? I have two kids at home waiting for me and I don't see them for five weeks. Yeah. I mean, why am I doing that? There must be a super strong and good of a reason for me to be able to leave my kids and my wife at home and, and to not see them five weeks. And, and so um, winning is not enough. Yeah. You know, there has to be all these three things that I've, that I've talk, told you about, yeah. is something that fuels me every single day and uh and it's all it's all a journey it's all a journey i try to i try to tell myself look you know it's about the journey it's not about destination yeah you know when you that's why you know i've also you know felt during th- throughout my career when i reached certain results they were really big uh, for example 2016 when i won french open i was I was holding all four slams at the same time. That hasn't big. Happened, <laughs> happened, happened I think, I think once, once in the history, history of wow. sport.
0: All four in the same year. All
1: four, uh, no, uh, oh, no, it was not in the same year. It was uh, in two different years, but I was holding it once, I was wow. champion cool. of all four slams. And I was, you know, dominant number one and everything was great, but I just didn't feel, mm-hmm. I felt something felt empty. What was that? It was the lack of the three things <laughs> yeah. that I told you about. It was, it, because I, I Relied all my life's force and energy into achievements achievements. I got to do it. I got Okay, you've done it and now what how do you feel and then and then I realized it's really not Only I don't want to say it's not about winning. It is about winning But it's not only about winning it, there has to be something that fuels your life's purpose and it has to be the life purpose has to be altruistic it has to it has to affect and concern others uh, as as an, as a positive effect, a consequence of what you do. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you because we got to experience your serve on the court. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. and and you went 100% with us. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, almost. right. like 50. You just mentioned it there that you, you do a lot of service off the court. You serve a lot off the court, and you and your wife believe in really helping the children of Serbia and just yes. children in general. Tell us about that. That purpose and mission, that legacy, because your legacy on the court is already there, like you're saying. Yes. But the legacy off the court is so meaningful to you, and even just yes. when we were putting there, you were speaking about the work you and your wife are doing. Absolutely. Tell us about how that is now becoming a bigger part of your life at this moment. Absolutely. Thank you for asking me that. Uh, well, you asked me on the court whether I'm going to be considering the coaching career. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a I think a, a logical trajectory in life for yeah. for tennis professional tennis player uh, so I'm working we have a tennis club that is gonna in a few years time turn into a big tennis academy and I'm, I'm, I am definitely uh, want to serve other generations new generations of tennis players for my country but also abroad uh, through that uh, uh, concept and project of tennis academy that is hopefully going to go worldwide uh, where I would like to um, Implement this kind of philosophy mindset and 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 concept of an uh, an approach to to life and to to tennis and professional tennis and and hopefully see it becoming a reality and 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 rolling it out to as many children around the world as possible who who choose to play tennis Um, we are uh, my wife and I very active with uh, preschool education and early childhood development uh, especially being uh, young parents of a five-year-old and two-year-old, we understand how essential it is for the development of a of a young child to uh, create an environment that is stimulative enough for a child to thrive and to grow into the best possible version of, of him or herself that, that they can possibly be. So uh, we have now almost we have opened and re- re- renovated almost 50 kindergartens in in uh, in serbia we're focusing solely on serbia because back in 2011 unicef provided us with some data that was staggering There was over 50 percent of children in serbia that did not attend any preschool uh, programs and one of, it's not only about f- financial reasons it was also cultural reasons so we try to spread a lot of awareness about the importance of early childhood development because the neuroplasticity, right? The brain develops. The vast development of brain is zero to seven. So that's it's super important to have your child exposed to as many creative and, and, and uh, right things, uh, you know, for, for his or her development. So uh, we have over twenty, I think 20, 22,000 children in the programs, wow, that's and cool. we yeah. are, you know, collaborating with the World mm. Bank with uh, with UNICEF and with many different partners and uh, uh, my wife is and and also my parents have have uh, worked really hard to 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 make this charity uh, so big we have a big team of 20 people and and i'm very proud of all of them they're doing a tremendous work Um, and also uh, as part of the non-profit my wife has uh, set up a, a platform called original uh, we talked about it uh, when we were uh, doing some putting on the golf range <laughs> there, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and and she's focused on the on the younger entrepreneurs, and providing the right uh, resources and information and the quality content uh, through inspiring leaders and bringing them to Serbia from abroad or inspiring leaders and entrepreneurs in Serbia in the region, and and providing those. Phenomenal uh, access uh, to these people and that content through young people to young people through the original magazine, through the uh, various conferences that happen during the year and events. So she's very passionate about it. I am too. I'm, I'm fully supportive of her because she's doing a great job. And um, and then you know there are other ways of always that the, you know helping and being of service. I th- uh, you know. We, we're mostly focused on on youth because and and children because this they hold the keys of the future of this world in their hands and so this is the most constructive way of changing the world i think you know of of being able to provide you know uh uh, quality service to young people and and content and expose them to as much of a, a positive content as possible so they can learn they can create things themselves, you know, and and inspire them, motivate them because in the end of the day, you know, uh, uh, someone has to follow up and someone has to, you know, make this world even a better place And, and so this is what we're focused on.
0: Jay and I both had a chance to sit down with Kobe and interview him. When I sat down with him, we talked about you before the interview. We talked about how you were like a brother to him and he loved you and how much he appreciated you and was inspired by you as an athlete. One of the questions I asked him was about his definition of love and when he felt the most love himself. So I wanted to ask you what what does love mean to you and when do you feel the most loved as well? <sighs>
1: um, that's a, that's a really good question. I think love love is <clears throat> love is existence. love is life. Love is sun, love is nature. Love is everything that we are, who we are and what we are made of and what surrounds us. And I think love is just um, uh, also a vision of life. You know, if you, if you see life through the lens of love, then life will be love for you. And, and everything that happens in life will serve that purpose and, and, and will be in your own interest or on your own good. Um, but you can see it through other lenses as well. It just It just really depends on you, so love is the strongest emotion, the strongest force in the universe, and it because of love, you know we are able to share these beautiful moments and play sports and be friends and, 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 and talk about good things and, and hopefully inspire others and and um, I think when you when you love. Um, Intensely, and when you when you really nurture love, you open your heart and you open your mind. And when you do that, then you are more flexible, and I think le- more forgiving, and less uh, judgmental, uh, and less ignorant. And that's why uh, love is um, is uh, a concept. <laughs> is, is, uh, is, is something that is an inevitable force that, that uh, uh, penetrates every area of your life, if you allow it. And I think, you, you know, if you, if you focus on that, on that positivity or the abundance of the good feelings in your life, because love is also happiness it's joy. So if you love what you do, if you're happy with that, then of course you are linked to love. And then love is going to help you roll out all the other things. And then as a, as a as a, as a positive consequence of all of that you are going to become less angry, you know, less negativity, less doubt, less, less of those negative emotions that, that create, you know, uh, blockages in your life and physically, health wise, mentally, emotionally because, uh, you know, uh, there's so many people that talk about that and uh, um, that, that every illness you know, starts with the, some emotion yeah. that is deeply suppressed or enrooted in you. So if you are uh, not aware, I think, you know, also love is awareness and love is consciousness because if you're aware and conscious, then you're present. But if, if you're present, then you're able to love and able to experience life in its most beautiful um, colors. And... Um, and that's the, you know, it's I can talk about that all day. <laughs> when, do, when do you feel the most loved in your life? When do I feel most loved? I feel most love towards myself and towards others when I'm most present. So and it could be on the tennis
0: court with your family, with friends. Absolutely,
1: because when you're present, you you, you just, uh, you talked to, told talk, us about the, the plane and when you were You know trying to force some creative thoughts some ideas to come to you when you're thinking about something but it wasn't coming and then you you did your gym session and then you were present because the activity makes you present and then all of a sudden you had a flow of 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 ideas same thing that's why regardless of what it is when you're like present it then it means that you're fully engaged in that activity or the thought or whatever happens and then you feel the most love for yourself and for others because then everything beautiful in life comes to you and also a lot of negative emotions or things that bother you come as well but when you're conscious then it seems like you you lower the intensity of those negative emotions and it seems like the proportions or dimensions are just smaller because when you are not present when you're thinking about the past or future whatever everything seems to be exaggerated, you know what I mean? And that's why, you know, uh, with, you know with this coronavirus or whatever is happening, you know, when, you, when people are uh, tense and when they're, when they're in fear, it's hard. It lowers their immunity, it makes them more susceptible for the viruses and all these different things. And that's another story. But anyway, you know, in the end of the day, I feel, I feel that you're most loved when you're present because then you can actually feel what is happening inside. You can hear yourself. Because, you know, I, I believe that the inner voice, the intuition, the, the voice of God, whatever you want to call it, is constantly talking to you. Because we've, I, I believe in the presence of, of God and, and universe. And I believe in angels that, that, that talk to us, that whisper and, and, and guide us through life. But whether we hear them or not depends on us. It's how how much debris do we have inside and how many layers? Uh, it's it just depends on our lifestyle, really. What we eat, how we how we go about life, whether we breathe consciously, whether we are there, whether we are present, whether we surround ourselves in the right environment, and whether we do things that are right in life or not. It's it's you know that's that's how it is, and it's and it's that powerful because in the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, I was I was uh, re- I'm reading this book about the the NLP right now and. And you know, it talks about the the, the the relationship between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. And the unconscious mind is like, um, is like a is like a little child yeah. that uh, just follows the instructions without any uh, uh, rational or logical thinking. So you know, you tell your subconscious mind. Uh, I am not feeling good I am I'm this I'm that okay no problem you're not feeling good you know and and in spirituality they, they talk a lot about that is where they the people treat their can, you know cancer uh, uh, illnesses and and God knows what with just with thinking with emotions with placebo effect you know I, I truly believe in that I, I believe in it because I'm experiencing that on the court I, yeah, I, I can see clearly when I when when everything flows I don't f- I feel and I don't feel my body and my mind at the same time it's amazing it's just some kind of a out-of-body experience a state where you're just it it seems like you're observing yourself from outside it seems like you 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 you're, you step you, you you kind of it's like your spirit leaves your body and then everything is flowing so beautifully and you're there in your presence and you feel like your aura is growing and but then it's one thought can change that. And that's why it's it, it, the life is, I, I believe, for all of us, a huge um, learning experience. Uh, and and, and uh, we've been sent here to to really um, grow and understand ourselves on the deepest levels and and also I believe understand uh, 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 and learn how to stay in the most present moment where you feel the most love, where you feel the most growth. And I mean, throughout my career, uh, I've been fortunate to, to play so many matches and so many years on the, on, the, on the tour that I've noticed how easy it is to lose the confidence, lose that flow and how difficult it is to get it and and but the more you focus on that growth and 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 you, and you try to master it the more kind of life allows you to stay the longer it allow, life allows you to stay in that flow
0: Thank you so much for listening to this interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, again, make sure to share this with someone that you think would be inspired, whether they're just a friend of yours, someone who plays tennis, an athlete, or someone who's looking to develop a champion's mindset in their business and in their life. Send them lewishouse.com slash 1137 or just copy and paste this link wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if this is your first time here, then welcome to the family of greatness. Please click the subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening, so you can stay up to date on the latest and greatest with people. like Novak Djokovic here on The School of Greatness. we love your feedback and thoughts. What was the most inspiring part about this episode? Leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts and share what part of this interview you enjoyed the most. And I want to leave you with this quote from Wilma Rudolph who said, Never underestimate the power of dreams and the influence of the human spirit. We are all the same in this notion. The potential for greatness lives within each of us. Yes, it does. I love that quote. Loved connecting with Jay Shetty during this and Always love connecting with Novak. Hope to have him back on here soon in the future because he just shares so much great insights at the top of his game. There's no one that is doing it as good as him in the world right now, and he has been so consistent for so long. Such a pleasure getting to learn from him, practice with him, train with him, and I'm so glad you guys got to experience this as well. I want to remind you, if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter, and don't you ever forget that. I'm so grateful for you, and you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. How frustrating is it when you move into a new home and you're excited to settle in and furnish it, but then you're waiting weeks on end, sometimes even a whole month for your new furniture to finally ship to you? Have you met All Modern? All Modern brings you the best of modern furniture and they deliver it for free in days, not weeks. Yep, that's right. They deliver it in days. Waiting weeks for your order to arrive isn't ideal, especially when you've just moved. Get your sofa ASAP from All Modern and sit comfortably while building out the rest of your space. That's modern made simple. At All Modern, you'll find only the best of modern styles, from Scandi to mid-century and minimalist to maximalists. Every piece is hand-vetted for quality and designed for real life. Shop the best of modern outdoor furniture, timeless decor, and everything in between. Find timeless designs in every style that fold function and fun all in one. From small decor swaps to full room revamps, All Modern has you covered. Shop online at all. Allmodern.com or visit them in store in Linfield or Dedham, Massachusetts, or in Austin, Texas.